0: You're listening to the Mining for Mayhem podcast, and you can find me, the phenomenal one, AJ, over at Backseat Bookers.
1: Too sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is my Mon- Mayhem. I'm BJ. This is a midweek recording. It's not our usual time. It's not our usual release. This is a special episode just for you guys. And today, for me this morning, for my guests this afternoon, it's just hit 5 p.m. New York time, or 5 p.m. Eastern time. Today is... I've got a very special guest who I am so excited to talk to, and I'm so excited that he s- accepted the invitation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the interviewer of the stars, Mr. Chris Van Vleet. Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, BJ. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be doing this. It's just like... um. It's as a lot of the pod, like independent podcasters that do listen to the show know, and obviously all the other fans that listen, you were actually the reason I started podcasting. No way. Wow, really? So, so I've always wanted to do something like this. It was about five years ago. I thought oh, I'd love to get up on YouTube, and I never got the courage to do it. And it was an interview last year, because I followed you on um, Twitter, so I knew when your interviews went up live on YouTube. Right. And there was a tweet you posted out saying, thanks for having me on as a guest. The boys from Australia, Kevin and Josh from Wrestling Reverb. And it was that particular interview, I thought, hold on, Josh is an independent um, podcaster. If he can do it and show us that, basically he's shown that anyone can create a podcast and it's not so hard. You just need to be confident and get in there and do it. And I thought, okay, so that's inspired me and here I am today.
0: Well, well, here's the thing, BJ, congratulations. First of all, uh, you've taken the most difficult step that <laughs> uh, anyone can take. Like most people talk about starting a YouTube channel. Most people talk about starting a podcast channel or podcast, and that's the end of it. That's the last step that they take because they don't take any steps. The fact that you've actually done this is so commendable, and the fact that you're doing this now is amazing, and now you're a year into it, and you keep getting better with every single episode. So you know, congrats, and make sure to keep it up.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much. Ironically enough, I've got up, I've got dressed, I've had the morning coffee. I'm actually in a black shirt that says vague goals equal vague results.
0: Wow. I um I have a similar shirt like that, if you could believe it.
1: <laughs> I
0: was wearing it yesterday. And, you know, that's that's a really good jumping off point from what you were just saying because I think that some people just go, oh, I I would like to do whatever it is, fill in the blank. I wanna, you know, start a podcast, grow my YouTube channel, lose some weight, whatever it is. And then that's the end of what they say and they don't actually set any sort of goals around that so i appreciate that you are living by the words that are on your shirt right now
1: (laughs) i've had a great man to inspire me (laughs) well thank you very much um that's exactly what you've been doing you've not just me me but for so many people that want to do this you are leading the way you've truly interviewed the stars of the stars like you've interviewed john cena you've interviewed um the rock from what I learned from your YouTube video, my mom's favorite person in the world, you've interviewed Denzel Washington.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that I, you know, I've, I've led the way for other people and th- that was never my intention, but you know, my goal was always, uh, I wanted to have a job that I didn't dislike. <laughs> and uh, that started when I was uh, in high school looking for a major in university. And then when I was in university, I was like, well, I wanna, have a job that I don't hate at the end of the day. And you know, that led me into broadcasting, which I had loved since I was a kid. And now broadcasting's obviously evolved. You know, when I was in university, it was basically just TV and radio. That was really your only options. And now it's evolved into podcasts and YouTube and Twitch and Instagram and everything else. And now we all have a voice. And uh, it's just a matter of whether it's up to you, you know, if you wanna use that voice or not.
1: Yeah. So when you are in um university, was it, were you one of those ones that studied really, really hard every day and when you weren't in classes, you were hitting the books or were you one of the ones that <laughs> would have a bit no. of a
0: party and a drink for couple nights? Yeah, I'm definitely not the first one. I mean, I enjoyed my time in university and I got good (laughs) grades. I I graduated with honors. I had a communication studies degree, Bachelor of Arts, but uh, I enjoyed all the extracurricular stuff, (laughs) meaning like, you know, I lived in a house with four of my best friends. Uh, I lived one street away from our favorite bar. Um, You know, and the drinking age in Canada is 19. And, you know, when you're a freshman and university you're also 19 so i think you can do the math there and you know kind of figure out how things go
1: oh wow i didn't actually know that it's 19 that's actually really different
0: well what is it in australia
1: it's 18
0: oh okay so 18 australia 19 in canada 21 in the united states so um yeah so it's like you know that it just kind of plans out i don't know maybe it just works out that you turn 19 you enter university and then The rest is up to you. And the the biggest thing that you have to decide to do is do I want to go to that early morning class tomorrow or do I want to stay up tonight with my friends and drink beer? And um, usually that's the decision that
1: works. Yeah, it's exactly. And one thing I've learned as well is a lot of people when they come to Australia is like for the especially for the Americans. Because they're not allowed to drink at 18, when they come to Australia, suddenly they're allowed to drink. And if they're down here even just for a fortnight, it's, okay, let's drink as much alcohol as I can in two weeks. And some of <laughs> them go home with that whole poisoning of uh, their stomach pumps. And I mean, yes, oh, yeah. drink, but obviously drink responsibly.
0: <laughs> yeah, look at that. We're putting out a great message for anyone who might not be of a uh, drinking age right now. But <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I think that um... – Look, I learned a lot in university about uh, about just how to be a, a person, how to be an adult. You know, you come from high school where a lot of decisions are made for you. You know, teachers are making decisions for you. Your parents are making decisions for you. And then you get to university, well, at least the one that I went to, and I lived away from home. And, you know, you're the one who has to decide, do I pay this bill? When do I pay this bill by? Do I wake up for that class tomorrow? If I do, what time am I setting my alarm for? And it's just a great like life lesson that I think that you know really like carried through to the other aspects of my life.
1: Ah. so what sent you into the world of media? Like, what made you go to university? And like, I want to do um, media. Well, I like I've I've been passionate about
0: broadcasting since I was like four years old. And my parents probably still have the cassette tapes of me pretending to be a broadcaster that I recorded on my Fisher-Price tape recorder. Um, Yeah, just, just emulating the radio broadcast that I heard as a kid. And when I was in high school, we had a class called Communication Studies where we went out every week and we recorded these TV segments. And we did all the different roles, cameraman, an audio guy, an editor and there was obviously a host or someone in front of the camera. And I just always found myself in front of the camera and I felt myself, found myself very comfortable in front of the camera. And it got to a point that when we wrote these different scripts to do a different scene or a different segment every single week, people just assume, oh, Chris, you'll be the host of this one or oh, you'll be the reporter on this one. And I loved it so much. And, um, and then when it came time to pick a university major, I was like, well, I liked communication studies in high school I'll probably like communication studies in college. And obviously in college, it's a lot more reading and learning theories and not as hands on as it was in high school. But I still learned so much from there. And it just made me love radio and TV even more and kind of all came to a head in my senior year. I I woke up one day in my final year of university and it just hit me that like there was no longer going to be, am I deciding to go to class or not? There's no longer, are, where are we going to have you know drinks with my friends tonight or not? It's I'm waking up tomorrow and I'm going to work and I'm going to do that for the next forty or fifty years of my life, five days a week. And I just decided at that point that I wanted to really pursue something that I enjoyed and I loved broadcasting. So the next day, I reached out to every radio station in town, every TV station in town, and basically said hey, here's who I am, I'm studying this, I'm passionate about this, Uh, do you have any room for me to be a volunteer at your TV or radio station? And one radio station got back to me and said, yeah, you can be on our street team, you can hand out stickers at our next event. And then this TV station was actually a community run station. They said, come on in uh, as many days a week as you like, and you can work in the studio. And I'm like, this is incredible, All all I had to do was ask. And then this other radio station said, look, you know, we don't take on volunteers. It's against our insurance policy. But how would you like a job? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So that's kind of how it happened. I, I spent my final year in university working at two different radio stations and a TV station and just padding my resume and getting as much real world experience that I could get so that when I graduated, I'd be ready to dive in and get myself, hopefully get myself a job in the quote unquote real world.
1: That is, that is so cool. I mean, and yeah, as you said, it's basically set you up for everything you did and you've obviously gone down to Florida and you've done the interviews all down there and that set you up for some huge interviews, which has brought you to where you are today.
0: Well, and I think that the moral of this story, BJ, is if there's something out there that you want, whether it's a, a job, a, a house, maybe, a, you know, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it happens to be, there's a way to get to that. And I think that you should you know look for someone who's doing the thing that you want to do and just go, OK, they're at the place that I want to be. They're at the end. They're at where I want to be. I want to, like, just take this back all the steps I can to where I am right now. And I think that, you know, Tony Robbins famously says success leaves clues. And I firmly believe that, that people that are successful leave clues in their wake of like what you can do to follow in their path. So anything is a, you know, is possible. It's just a matter of, are you willing to put in the work to do it?
1: I like that. That's actually some really great advice.
0: So, and it's true.
1: Yeah. And watching your, um, YouTube uh, live YouTube feed, which, by the way, was amazing. And well, thank you. <laughs> thanks for responding on that.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah, no. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm no different than you are or anybody listening to this. You know, I'm a fan like everybody else. It's just I've happened to, you know, have this job on TV that's given me access to, you know, interview some of the people that we look up to.
1: Yeah, and you've. Growing up, one of your favorite matches of all time, as it's well known to all wrestling fans or all Chris Van Vliet fans, is WrestleMania eighteen Rock versus Hogan. And you've interviewed Rock so many times. So that must have been so surreal for you. Like what did that mean to you just to interview the Rock?
0: Oh, uh, it, it it meant the most to me. He was at the top of my list for the longest time because, you know, when I was in high school, I was walking around giving people the people's eyebrow and yelling, it doesn't matter at them. Like The Rock was, he was my idol growing up. And I actually dressed up as him for Halloween one year. So to go to WrestleMania 18, 2002, I was an 18 year old kid. And to sit there in the most, to borrow a phrase from The Rock, the most electrifying crowd there, to be part of that, to realize that history was being made as we There, because we certainly were not sitting there. And then ten years later, to be able to shake the Rock's hand, you know, have a have an interview with him, and then tell him, you know, how important that match was to me, that was surreal. That's you know, it's a great word that you use to describe it. And then a few years later, I interviewed Hogan, and same thing. You know, that was such a, a meaningful thing. And you know, the the great thing about both those guys, and I've been fortunate to interview both of them on multiple occasions, is they're such stars and i don't mean that just because they're the larger than life you know superstars that we grew up watching but they have all the star qualities of being a a nice and generous person super charismatic and the rock especially has this incredible way of going out of his way to make you feel special in those moments and it's it's just it's unlike anything i've really ever seen before and you know, to, to be able to tie that memory of me as an eighteen year old kid uh, at Skydome in Toronto, WrestleMania eighteen, to then somehow half a lifetime later to be able to be interacting with them and they, they
1: remember my name—it's it's unreal. It's unreal. And it's it's like it's not even oh, there's Chris the wrestling guy. It's, oh, there's Chris my mate. Yeah, it's uh, it was so cool that
0: like. I had interviewed Hogan very briefly. It was after um, WrestleMania 30, I had interviewed him. And then like maybe about a year later, I interviewed him again. And I said, oh yeah, this is actually the second interview we've done. He's like, oh yeah, I remember uh, WrestleMania 30, right? The morning after, uh, after the show. I'm like, what? How, what? How, do you, how do you remember this? It was so crazy that you know, Hogan was able to remember all that. And every time I see Rock, he, you know, hey Chris, how are you? And I'm like, wow, if I could go back in a time machine and tell the young version of me, that'd be, it'd blow his mind.
1: So, one of the interviews you've done recently is with Sean Spears and Tyler and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. So, (laughs) tomorrow, or about this time tomorrow, I'll be on the road traveling to one of the towns near me to go see an independent wrestling show. I've already set up some interviews. I've talked to the owners and I've actually asked them if I can get in the ring and take a chop.
0: <laughs> what advice? Okay, are, you, are you sure you want to do this?
1: <laughs> I've been tossing up if I want to call it the Chris Van Polite Challenge or the Woo Challenge. <laughs> I would call it the Woo Challenge because uh, <laughs> I think
0: that uh, there's certainly more people that know uh, Ric Flair for that than they know me for that. In terms yeah. of advice for you, um, First of all, realize what you're setting yourself up for here. Um, Just understand that it's, it doesn't tickle. It certainly hurts. You will have handprints on your chest for, I mean, I had them on my chest for six days, but I also took 20 chops. So you'll have, how many chops are you going to take?
1: At the moment, it's, I'm planning on one because I'm a lot (laughs) smaller.
0: (laughs) All right. well, Well, hopefully don't cave your chest in. I'm just I'm, joking. You'll be fine. Yeah, well, I
1: was going to say I'm probably like 150 to 180 pounds. <laughs> That's a pretty big range.
0: Um, look, it's, it's 10, just,
1: just 10 kilograms, I think.
0: Okay. Well, make sure you breathe out as it's happening. Um, and also, if you're going to do this right, you got to take your shirt off. Because if you do it with your shirt on, I mean, it might just hurt a little bit. But you got to get that real skin-to-skin for it to really be the true effect. Of getting a knife edge chop.
1: Nice. <laughs> <laughs> One of like everyone has their wrestling slogans. One of them I came up with I think six years ago now is "Embrace the pain." Pain Ooh. is a friend and not the enemy. Well,
0: if- you know, I, I trained for you know I trained for a little while while I was still in uh, university, and I, I would have yes, some stuff does hurt. Bumping certainly hurts. Running the ropes stings quite a bit, but. I would say if it's done correctly, there shouldn't be much pain. It should yeah. just kind of just feel like a, you know, just like a thud. So look, I hope you tag me in this video. I want to see <laughs> this. And I, I wish you the best of luck, BJ, because it's, it, it, it is quite the journey you're about to embark on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, my coworkers have said the same thing. So um, in that live YouTube feed, You've said you've been to Australia before. How long ago was that? So I was in Australia
0: in 2005. It was right after I graduated from university. And my girlfriend at the time was going to teacher's college there. Actually, it was the start of 2006. She was going to teacher's college there. So I was on the Gold Coast. Uh, flew into, I guess that would have been Brisbane. Is that right? It's
1: Queensland,
0: my home state. Well, there you go. So uh, I was I in... I was staying in the city
1: of Southport. So, oh, Southport. I think I know where that is. I've stayed in know. Gold Coast once. It's about, it's about approximately one to two hours from Brisbane.
0: Oh, okay. Depending right. well, on track. Well, that's where I was, and I can't wait to get back there. I mean, it's been far too long. I was in New Zealand last year. I know that's close, but I know that's also not even close to the same. New um, but yeah, beautiful. it is. But so, but I got to get back to Australia, and hopefully soon. It's just, it's just so far from here.
1: All right. So the most southern state on the eastern side, Victoria. How do you yep. pronounce the capital? Is it Melbourne or Melbourne?
0: Oh, so uh, I get, I mean, people here would call it Melbourne, but I know that it's Melbourne, right?
1: Yeah. So we go Melbourne, but. A lot of people from the states go Melbourne. Like yes, Melbourne. Melbourne yeah. supremacy. Yeah,
0: Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. That's but look, uh, I don't, I don't know if Americans are saying anything correctly. So, and uh, <laughs> and I, I say that with love because I'm not from America, but I've been living here for ten years. But yeah, I'm sure there's lots of things that uh, that are said incorrectly here.
1: Yeah. So you've just moved to Los Angeles from Florida. What brought this change on? Well, the <laughs> the move was
0: supposed to happen this week. I, I actually was supposed to be arriving in L.A. today. I was actually going to drive, about a four-day drive across the country. Um, but the move has been put on pause with everything that's going on in the world and all this hysteria and the self-quarantine and everything else going on around COVID-19. So... Once things get kind of more settled and once stuff starts opening back up again, that's when I will embark on the journey. And I am hopeful that it's sooner rather than later. But to answer your question, uh, I can kind of work from anywhere. You know, I I put a lot of my eggs in the YouTube basket right now with YouTube and my podcast. And I've also been doing some acting and some freelance hosting and also some, some speaking. And I can really be based anywhere as long as I'm close to an airport and I found that a lot of the work that I was doing kept bringing me back to Los Angeles. A lot of my friends there, it's obviously the mecca of entertainment. So I've spent a ton of time there over the last 10 years. Uh, We really haven't talked about it a ton during this interview. You kind of mentioned it, but I've worked as an entertainment reporter for most of my career. So I've interviewed, you know, the biggest stars in the world, like you mentioned, like Denzel Washington and The Rock, but also like Oprah and Sandra Bullock and Gerard Butler and you name them, you know, and a lot of that work has taken me to Australia or <laughs> I wish has taken me to uh, Los Angeles. So it just makes sense for me to be there and be closer to everything that's going on there. So now it's just a matter of when I can move and I'm hopeful that it can happen in April.
1: Ah, uh, So you would have done like the red carpet awards for the Grammys and the Emmys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been so fortunate to be able to say that I've covered the Oscars five times and the Grammys four times. Um, I covered American Idol. Yeah. It, it, all kinds of world premieres for different movies. You know, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a really fun
1: journey. That sounds amazing. And they might have to get you back down to Australia one year to cover the Logies, which is our, um, annual TV awards. And they'll do like oh. the greatest TV host in the, um best of years soap drama or whatever it might be
0: well it's, yeah that sounds great sign me up <laughs> once we're once we're able to start traveling uh, normally again i'll be down there
1: yeah it's because uh, what's it like there because i know with australia um any international or people that aren't residency actually know it's basically if you come here You've got to go into quarantine for 14 days, I believe it is, and they're only letting people actually live here come in.
0: Well, so I think they actually just closed the border today. But up until now, it's basically been the restaurants, bars, gyms are closed. You can only get food for drive through or carry-out uh, and delivery. And like essential places like grocery stores and pharmacies are the only thing open. That's till March 31st. I'm so hopeful and I'm such a positive person that I wanna put this out into the world and speak it into existence that I'm hoping March 31st is when things can start to have a little bit of normalness back. So let's uh, let's put that out into the world together and and hope that, you know, that happens.
1: Well, that's exactly it. And I mean, it's from a lot of the stuff I read and it's the same with the wrestling. You sort of just ignore the dirt sheets. I mean, I read something where to get a full-on cure to eradicate the virus. We're looking at maybe a year, but hopefully it's a lot sooner than that because it's it's affecting the world in such a negative way, but the positive side of it is, yes, we may be getting a crowdless WrestleMania. We may be getting a crowdless Raw, but we're still getting a Raw and a WrestleMania and an AEW, and the fact that we're getting in general is just amazing.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, BJ. And I love that, you know, wrestling is forever. Wrestling doesn't stop. Uh, you know, there's no off season for wrestling. It's and wrestling. I appreciate yeah. and I appreciate that WWE and AEW are continuing on with the weekly programming. Sure, it doesn't look like what we're used to seeing, and obviously there's no crowd to feed off of. But I appreciate that they're saying, hey, look, we know that things in the world are a little different than they usually are but we're going to give you an escape on Monday night on Wednesday night and on Friday night where you can watch this program live and there's some sort of escape from the craziness that's going on right now
1: yeah and even like with the wrestlers around the ring for AEW the um yesterday morning or what is it Wednesday night for everyone in Amer- right. America. Yeah, Wednesday night, yeah. The fact that I had the wrestlers around the ring, I thought, oh, that's a unique idea. That's actually working quite, it still adds to the atmosphere and gives, what was it, Semi Guevara singing Jericho's theme song. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That's- what,
0: was, what was really interesting about the booking on Dynamite is WWE highlighted the fact that there were empty seats. Like they shone a light on those empty seats. AEW did the exact opposite AEW blacked out the seats And put the focus on the ring And I also appreciate That Dynamite was all Multi-person matches because Then you had more excitement going on in the ring Less rest spots, more chatter Going on inside the ring Putting the wrestlers at ringside Was also one of the smartest things they could have done Because then you had that chatter That little bit of roar in the room And I think that they really set an example for how those shows don't have to be, you know, just a, a silent show.
1: Yeah, and it added a different atmosphere to I mean, and then you went to the shots of Ringside with um, Sean Spears drinking wine.
0: <laughs> right. MJF betting on it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I, I thought that they did a, a really good job. And, and look, making live television every single week is... No small feat. And the fact that WWE has been doing it with Raw for 20 years is (laughs) insane. But doing it under these circumstances makes it that much more difficult. So my hat's off to WWE and AEW for being able to pull this off at all.
1: And considering we've never gone through this before, they're going on the fly. They're essentially just winging it. The fact that they're doing it at all, is just amazing.
0: No, it's incredible, and I, but I think it's an important thing for them to do. It's an important message that's being sent. While they're not explicitly saying it, the message that's being sent is, you know, life goes on. And I think that while there's a lot of uncertainty going on in the world right now, I think that that message of, you know, life goes on and life continues is a great message to kind of help us focus on other things.
1: Yeah. How are you going for toilet paper? <laughs> we're we're stocked up
0: here. I'm okay. How are things uh, down under?
1: Um I've stocked up pre-plan. Like, I mean, I live by myself, so one big pack of toilet paper can last me 10 months.
0: Uh, so you're and, good. You're good. Well, but, I might I might have to have you ship me some then in a, in a, a few weeks.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say our shops are empty, like I live in a small town of 10,000 people and I went, walked down the um toilet paper aisle just out of curiosity cuz I'd heard the rumors. I wonder what our town's like. No toilet paper. There was across the other side of the aisle there was no tissues, no hand wipes. I'm like, wow. I mean, Same here. Same here. my, My town's usually crazy like that because, I mean, when we get rumblings of a cyclone or what America calls a hurricane, even though we've had one cyclone hit our town in the 10 years I've lived here, we've got a little bit of rain here and there, but every time there's even a threat of it, we always run out of bread and milk. <laughs> it's like the running yeah. choke of this town.
0: I, uh, I, I'm, look, I lived in Florida for five years where we have hurricanes frequently. And yeah, I, I'm with you. I completely understand. Uh, and this feels kind of like that on a different scale, you know, yeah. where everyone's stocking up on all kinds of different things. But, I don't know. This has also been a really interesting time to kind of just look within and, you know, think about what's important. You know, the craziness and the busyness of the world isn't really there right now. And I think that, that that's also been an interesting thing. I, I hope it doesn't last much longer, though.
1: Yeah. And we were talking about um, Australia before. After, um, after obviously everything settles down and we're allowed to travel again. When do you have plans on coming back? And if so, mm. where do you want to go?
0: Well, I don't know when specifically, but I'd, I would have to say soon. I, I love it in Australia. It's such a beautiful country. And uh, you just have so many incredible, unique things there. And just the way of life. The way of life there is just great. So I, where should I go? So if I was on the Gold Coast last time, where do I need to explore this time?
1: Um. Well, there's. I suppose, in a sense, a couple of places I'd say go to Sydney, obviously, because sure. Okay. You've got um Dubbo, which is nearby. You've got the Taronga Zoo and the Taronga Western Plains Zoo, and obviously, okay. go hug a koala. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's hug like a koala a and and feed a feed a kangaroo. You're allowed to feed them. Um, I believe so. There's places where you can feed them. There's, um, I'm not sure, I've never been to um, Western Australia, so I don't know what it's like over there. Apparently there's what's known as a black Beach, where the sand is just black, which is really unique. Um, uh, interesting fact, though, speaking of the Gold Coast, is the s- sands there um, get shipped over, and that's what makes the beach on Honolulu. No way! Really? The Honolulu Beach is imported from the Gold Coast.
0: Wow. Well, that's why that beach is so beautiful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about
0: Waikiki Beach?
1: Uh, yes. I actually wow. learned that when I was on Waikiki Beach, learning how to surf.
0: Wow. Wow. Wait, that, that also blows my mind. You live in Australia, and it took you going to Hawaii to learn how to surf. That seems a little backwards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, like, I was living in a small town called um, Rockhampton, which is the beef capital of the world. Okay. Wow. And we went on a family holiday to Hawaii. Like it was our last family holiday because I was um, graduating school at the time. So we went to Hawaii of all places. Like when my parents put it out to the family, I'm like, "Um, yes, please. It's probably the one place I thought I'd never go is Hawaii. So the next goal for me when I go to America is New York. I want to go to Times Square.
0: Oh, well, New York is obviously very different from being in Hawaii. But, you know, they're both they're, they're on completely other ends of the spectrum, but they're both amazing parts of this country.
1: Yeah. like I've done Hawaii for my second American holiday. The first one when I was like 10 was when the Sydney Olympics were on. Um, we went to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Grand Canyon, Las Vegas. We stayed at um, the Hilton Hotel, I think it was, and Mandalay Bay.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's quite the, uh, that's quite the West Coast road trip right there. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was a road trip. Um, that we went to a theme park called Knott's Berry Farm.
0: Yes, of course. It's just outside of Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. Um, growing up in Canada, what was it like for you? Weather-wise, was it snowy all the time?
0: It's pretty cold. So I grew up just outside of Toronto. And yeah, I'd say that any time between November and April, it could snow. Um, you know, it snows the most, obviously, December, January, February, and then into March. So yes, cold, but in the summer, it's incredible, beautiful weather. And I lived close to Lake Ontario, one of the Great Lakes, and it, the lake is so big that it almost has this like ocean-like feel. Uh, it's obviously not like the ocean, but it has like an ocean-like feel to it. The other cool thing about Toronto is you're, you're, it's a huge city. It's one of the largest cities in North America. It's like Mexico City, New York City, LA, and then Toronto. So the fourth largest city in North America. You're also really close to like, an hour away from the American border. And it just, it's just a great place and a melting pot of all kinds of different cultures and great food. I love it. And most of my family and friends are still back in Canada.
1: That's quite nice. Um, and as a, like, for instance, a teenager, were you a gamer or what did you do as a t- kid or a teenager to do in your free time?
0: Well, aside from being the champion of a backyard wrestling federation, um, <laughs> I was really big at the time. So, yeah, I was in a backyard wrestling league with my friends for a couple of years. So that was part of it. And yeah, I was playing video games. Um, I guess I was mostly like, I loved Sega Genesis growing up, like Sega Genesis and Nintendo were my thing. So um, I'm 36. So we're we're going, you know, way back here in like late 80s, early 90s with were the games I was Really playing like Super Mario 3 and Blades of Steel, ice hockey, and Super Nintendo is like I loved Ken Griffey Jr. baseball and Mario Kart. That was the type of stuff I loved. But I was also and am also super passionate about bass fishing. And I've I've been bass fishing my whole life, fishing in bass tournaments. And you might have seen this with the wrestling, but when I get into something, like I dive into it, like I get like on an obsessive level about it. And that's how I am about bass fishing in the same way that I am about pro wrestling.
1: you go got your own um, bass fishing company, don't you? I, I do, yeah. It's called, woo,
0: tungsten. We sell tungsten fishing weights. And if anyone listening right now is a bass fisherman, you know exactly what a weight is, but it's like if you're fishing with a bait made out of uh, plastic, it kind of floats. So this sinks it down to the bottom. And it's been really cool to be able to mix my passion with business, both in wrestling and with fishing.
1: So what's the difference between, I suppose, regular fishing and bass fishing? Well, in bass fishing, you're targeting bass. It's freshwater.
0: Do you have, do you have largemouth and smallmouth bass in Australia?
1: Uh, I believe so. I yeah.
0: think you might. You know, there's actually there's a pro bass fish. fisherman. There's a professional bass fisherman from Australia. His name is Carl Jacobson. And he okay. has moved, he's moved to the United States to, you know, pursue his professional fishing career. So the difference is basically you're just fishing with different types of baits and fishing in areas where more bass lives. So that's, I'd say those are the main differences and it's just the most exciting type of fishing. So next time you're in America, you need to do some bass fishing.
1: Uh, it's, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll even look it up to see if it's in Australia because I've definitely gone fly fishing before. Okay. So okay.
0: Oh, we, ended sure,
1: yeah. going, we, we ended up going fly fishing and ended up catching some tuna. And we went up way north of the country to the point that everything got shipped in there and they weren't getting their shipments. So the restaurant of the hotel we were staying at had no food. Um, oh, okay. So we went out fishing, caught some tuna, and they actually cooked it up for us. Oh, cool. And oh, then wow. they got, the tour guide that took us out, um, he hooked one of the tuners up to the rope, um, rope, tied some, or cut it open so it opened up the blood, threw it back in the water, and we ended up going shark fishing. Nice. Did you catch one? Uh, we got a bite off one. Like, they came swarming, and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to stay in the middle of the boat. Like, <laughs> like it was a yeah. big boat, but I'm just like, yeah, okay, this is getting a bit too real. Right right so i was 16 at the time i think
0: okay okay
1: so with all the viruses going on and the uh, basically self-isolation if you were isolated on an island with the rock how would you keep yourself entertained
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, how could you not be entertained with The Rock? How long are we on this island for? It, actually, it doesn't matter how long we're on this island for. <laughs> I, look, I think the, the, uh, hanging out with The Rock would be great. We could just work out together and then we could talk about all of his amazing matches. And then we could just yell, it doesn't matter each other. Uh, I think that we could last years doing that.
1: That sounds like it'd be a dream in heaven, a dream made in heaven. <laughs> a dream for me, a nightmare for the rock, I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you said you'd work out, and I mean, for those that have seen that your Instagram, you have got a ripped body. Well, thank body. you. Yeah. How well, much, I look. How much maintenance does that take? Like, how many times a week? How many hours a session do you go for?
0: Well, the gym has become like my coffee in the morning and I don't drink coffee. So going to the gym has been my routines. Basically, wake up, drink a protein shake, have some pre-workout and then hit the gym. So I'm in the gym five days a week, like usually every weekday, sometimes six days a week. And it's just, you know, I I don't even really think about it anymore of like as it being a workout. I just think of it as like being the thing that starts my day. Um, And it started because I loved pro wrestling. And, I mean, and I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And I thought if I want to be a pro wrestler, I'm going to have to lift some weights and start to look like a pro wrestler. And that's where it all began. I started working out when I was 16 and here I am now. And it's just become such a part of my routine. And <laughs> now that the gyms are closed, it's been tough. It's I've been running and I've been doing push ups and sit-ups, but man, I, it's, it's just tough because it's such a part of my day. And now I don't have it anymore, at least for now.
1: Yeah. And speaking of um, your Instagram, you actually had a photo pop-up that you posted of, I believe it was 10 years ago, of yourself in the black shirt with a little bit of a skull <laughs> on it and you were talking about a memory. Do you want to tell us about that memory there?
0: So it was actually 13 years ago to the day. I was hosting a show in Vancouver, um, which is the west coast of Canada. was on MTV, too. So if you think 2007 and you think that MTV vibe, exactly what you're picturing in your mind right now is exactly what I was wearing. I had the shell necklace and I had the backwards hat and I had like this skateboard shirt with a skull on it. And you couldn't see it in the photo, but I was wearing skate shoes as well. And obviously throwing to like some sort of some 41 or Blink-182 video. And that was who I was and i was really cutting my teeth at that time hosting this incredible show. That show was like a dream job. I reviewed video games, um interviewed celebrities. It was the greatest job ever. And it's actually those that it was actually at that place at that uh show where i interviewed my first ever wrestler, which was Bobby Lashley. And that video i posted last year on my youtube channel as like a throwback for people to see.
1: That's That's so cool. And Bobby Lashley, that's a great first wrestler to interview. And it kind of happened coincidentally.
0: So I was working at the show and I'd been there like two months and we were doing like celebrity interviews and a lot of interviews with musicians. And I saw that WWE was going to be coming to town. And I reached out to them and said, look, I work on this TV show. I would love to do an interview with one of your wrestlers, any of your wrestlers. I'll do an interview with anybody. And they said, oh, well, we're actually going to have Bobby Lashley in town next week. We'll bring him by for an interview. And I'm like, oh, my God. Not only do I get to interview a wrestler, but I get to interview Bobby Lashley, who at the time was the ECW champion. And I remember preparing for weeks. Oh, yeah. And I was preparing for weeks to do that interview. And looking back, it probably wasn't my best work. But considering it was my first wrestling interview at the time, I think not terrible.
1: Not terrible. Yeah. I mean, my first wrestling interview, I remember I was so nervous. But I interviewed a guy from Melbourne City Wrestling. Actually, there's another place. Go to Melbourne and check out MCW when you're down here. I interviewed okay. a guy called um Adam Brooks, and he was about two weeks after he won the championship. And since the interview, Adam Brooks is like, been signed to ring of honor
0: oh well there you go all because of your interview i'm sure
1: (laughs) um, (laughs) oh well the guy he won the championship off is a guy named slacks if you're familiar with that name no i
0: don't i don't i don't know the name
1: slacks made his ring of honor debut at their last pay-per-view i think it was against flip gordon oh nice oh that's great So speaking of podcasting, what advice do you have for aspiring podcasters?
0: Well, like we said at the start of the interview, you've already taken the biggest piece of advice. You've already taken the biggest step is just getting started. Uh, I think the other thing you need to keep in mind is this has to be a labor of love because you're not going to get rich doing this. And you also need to realize that the audience growth is like pretty small at first. And I think that I don't know the exact statistic, but something like 80% of podcasts give up after one episode and something like 85% give up after five. So congrats to you for bucking <laughs> the trend and you know not being one of those statistics. But I think a lot of people go, oh man, it's so fun. Me and my friends will just sit around and talk and we'll make it a podcast. It'll be great, which it is, it's fun. But then when you realize that like seven people downloaded that episode and four of those downloads were from your mom, you might go, oh, <laughs> wow, this isn't for me. So I think that you just got to stay the course. And I think another thing that's important to realize is find your lane. Find the thing that you do better than anybody else or find the angle that you have that nobody else is doing, which is going to set you apart from everybody else. And, you know, there's a lot of people If we are going to speak specifically about wrestling podcasts that do a lot of the same thing. And that's why, you know, there's only so much of a, an audience. For something like that the audience can only be spread so thin so i'd say find your lane find what you're great at and then just dive in and don't worry about the audience for the first 100 episodes or something
1: yeah and i think i'm just hit 30 or just past 30 that's great you're Um, doing it like you said it's a Um, slow ride when it comes to viewers and at the end of the day, specifically for me, it's not about the viewership like, if one person listens I'm happy, so long as I'm not doing the podcast for me personally, but I'm doing it because you see a lot of negativity on Twitter and there's a lot of people taking the piss out of others or attacking people for others you've got people that are venting on Twitter because they might be having a bad day and if I can take someone that's upset or having a bad day and put a smile on their face make them laugh change their day for the better that's what i want to do yeah i love that
0: bj and especially in the wrestling world there's so much negativity you know the next morning after raw it's all about all the things that people hated the night before yeah i think what's what's wrong is always available but so is what's right and i certainly like to focus with my content on the positive stuff and i'm not You know trying to dig for dirt and i'm not trying to make anyone look bad i'd like to focus and shine a light on the positivity and i think that that's another thing people need to realize even if your audience isn't that big you you need to realize that you still do have an audience and it's up to you what type of content you want to put out you know do you want it to shine a light of positivity or do you want it to you know shine a darkness of negativity
1: and another piece of advice I've um, been given is what makes you stand out? What is like you said? You can always go find the negativity. You can always go find a review show, a prediction show. What makes you stand out from the crowd?
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, actually, my I've been taking acting lessons recently. And my acting coach said the most important thing you need to do is be memorable. He's like, you know, it, it, don't try to be good. Don't try to be great. Try to be memorable because that's who he's talking about auditions, uh, in this example, but he's saying that's who they'll bring back. That's who the director or the casting director will stick in their mind because you made an impact. And I think that that's just great life advice. You know, yeah. don't try to be just, you know, don't try to be good at something, try to be memorable.
1: And I mean, one of the, um, podcasts you've actually done that's actually quite memorable that stands out is you weren't actually doing the interview. It's, um Dolph Ziegler was doing the interview and your guest on the show at the time that he interviewed on your behalf was a guy called Chris Van Vliet <laughs> you yeah. ch- basically yeah. changed it up and swapped roles so I'm like that's so cool
0: well look I've done so many interviews with Dolph who's an amazing guy who also is living in Los Angeles right now by the way so when I get out there hopefully I'll be able to do some more stuff with him but I'd done so many interviews with Dolph. I think I'd done like 16 interviews with him at that time. And I said, look, I think people want to do like a Q and A with me, but I don't want it to just be me. So what if you were the one asking the questions? And he said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So look, Dolph is so talented at literally everything. Uh, You know, obviously wrestling, he's very good at, but he's so good at everything. So you give Dolph Ziggler a mic and a camera and it's going to be nothing but entertainment. And I was certainly aware of that.
1: Have you done stand-up comedy before or even been to one of Dolph's shows?
0: I have not. So I was supposed to go to Dolph's show last January, right after the Royal Rumble. We were in Phoenix and he had a show right after the Royal Rumble. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'll put your name on the guest list. (laughs) So, I was planning to go right after the Rumble, and then we're watching the Royal Rumble, and out of nowhere comes Dolph Ziggler, who we hadn't seen in, like, three months. And he said that they told him, like, that day. Do you Remember this, that he was in the Rumble? Um, they told him, like, that day that he was going to be entering the Rumble, which obviously messed up the plans for his comedy show. And I had a flight that night at, like, 12.30 in the morning or something, and his comedy show started at, like, 11 or 11:30. And I'm like, I can't go to your show now because because you were in the Rumble, you were late for your comedy show, which would have made me late for my flight. So, that's a long way of saying no, I haven't been to a Dolph Ziggler comedy show yet, <laughs> but as soon as we are allowed to do <laughs> public um gatherings of things again, I'm sure Dolph will start having shows again and I'll be there.
1: Have you done stand-up comedy yourself? No.
0: And I don't know if anybody wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> the only person that would be laughing is me at myself. <laughs> that's, but that's all you know. That's, I mean, that's not so to long say that I couldn't do it. Right, uh, completely. And that's not to say that I couldn't do it. I'm a firm believer that any skill can be learned and mastered. And that might be something that I look into, especially, you know, the more acting that I do, I know that having some comedy chops and some comedic chops I think would really help. So You know, maybe if Dolph Ziggler wants to take me under his wing and show me show me what he's learned, maybe you'll see me at one of his shows. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And who knows? That's definitely something I'd be into.
0: I don't know. Like Dolph Ziggler keeps doing these shows, DZ and Friends, where he'll do comedy with like random people. I think like like Drake Maverick and EC3, like just random friends will come up on stage and do five minutes of comedy i'm like you know what maybe i could be one of those
1: friends at one of those shows so maybe we'll see that would be cool i'd love to see that it um, would t- probably be terrible
0: but uh we'll just set the bar <laughs> real low <laughs>
1: so you were saying that you've um obviously trained to be a wrestler and done the in ring work can you to this day keep up
0: yes yes i can and i like to think that I'm still fairly athletic. I don't you know, I'm 36, I'm turning 37 in May, and I don't think there's anything that I can't do now that I, you know, could do when I was 18 or 20 or whatever. So yes, I can kip up. And if I ever have a wrestling match, I'm sure that's something you might see in that match.
1: What is the trick to a good kip up? Because I sure as hell can't, and I've tried.
0: Well, I think you gotta you gotta, you know, practice. I think it's the biggest thing. But it's this weird I don't know. Like, I think you should ask someone who's like really good at it. Like, I don't know, Sammy Guevara or someone, but like, it's this weird, like you're propelling your legs and your arms at the same time. And then it's just momentum from there. Then you just got to get your balance on your feet, but you got to really give it. Like you really got to kick with your feet and then just let that momentum take you. So you land on the soles of your feet. I I think you got this in you BJ. I think you can do this.
1: (laughs) I'm definitely not trying to, be an aspiring wrestler but i thought well i'd love to learn some basic moves so i can understand what they go through in the ring
0: well i think that next time you are at a wrestling show uh and you're doing some interviews i'd say just get in the ring you're gonna take some chops
1: um but i'd say about 24 hours from now
0: okay well this is happening um i would say have someone show you a, a bump and it's you know, we see them all the time in matches and they seem so easy. But when you get in there and you've never done one before, number one, it's it's hard to do correctly the first time. Number two, it's also hard to do without it being somewhat painful. But I would say that if you're in there, just have them show you some really simple bumps. just, And that'll give you such an appreciation for, you know, what those guys do. Like, if you're taking a simple bump, you're falling, you know, a foot or two, you know, from... You're going to be in like a squatted position and you're going to fall onto your back. It'll give you such an appreciation of knowing what that small, you know, short fall feels like. And then think of like when a guy takes like a back body drop or when a, when, when they do uh, superplex or something like that. You'll just, you will that feeling that you had from the little bump you did, it's that magnified times, you know, 10 or 20. <laughs>
1: I've I've been to the gym and they've got like a boxing ring down there, so I've run the ropes there just for the fun of it. Obviously, I've got okay. some because after watching the flatbacks video that you did, I'm like, okay, so obviously I was doing it wrong. But I've cl- I know I've climbed to the top rope and okay. I, I look down. I'm like, yeah, nope. <laughs> so <Sorry>. I basically <laughs> jumps down. I'm like, and it's not that high up, but once you get off there, it's like, yeah, no pass.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're not used to it and like, who am I to speak? But you know, when you climb up there, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot higher than you think.
1: Oh yeah. It's sort of that almost subconscious fear kicks in and reality sort of alters in a sense.
0: Oh, it's, it's, uh, look, my hat's off to anyone who does this professionally or anyone who has ever done this professionally. Like it is not an easy thing. And you know, I, I have nothing but respect for the people that do it.
1: Mm. So 2002, 14 rows back, was it? You were Rock versus Hogan? Sixteen rows back. Yeah, Rock versus Oops. Hogan. I just I just
0: posted the ticket stub, and it's crazy to see that it costs like a hundred, I think it was hundred and twenty-six dollars to sit wow. in the sixteenth row. I think now that's like at least
1: five hundred. Hmm. So what was the crowd atmosphere like for that match? Oh, my God. It was insane.
0: And the thing I don't think a lot of people remember is that was the third last match. Because after that was uh, there was a women's match. And then after that was the main event, Jericho and Triple H. The crowd was so electric on their feet the entire time. I get goosebumps just talking about it. It's crazy. And obviously, Hogan was a heel at the time. But as soon as he got in the ring, as soon as the, the entrances were done, the crowd was like 95% for Hogan. And it's not that people were booing The Rock, it's just that Hogan was so over. And Hogan obviously had had a, you know, a, a, had so many amazing matches. And here we were seeing him. He'd had, I think, yeah, he wrestled in that same building, WrestleMania 6, you know, 12 years before. So to have Hogan back in there, like the crowd was so pro Hogan, and the crowd was just like 10 out of 10. On their feet the whole time from start to finish. And uh, I don't think that that atmosphere has ever been topped and will ever be topped again.
1: I think the only one I maybe say came close to it was Money in the Bank, Cena versus Punk.
0: Yeah, in a kind of a different way. Like <laughs> there was just so much hatred for John Cena in that mm. one. And obviously, you know, a lot of love for uh, Punk because of everything that was going on at the time but yeah
1: yeah and she was also the hometown hero
0: yes the fact that that was in chicago yeah no you're right that was a good one but man i not nothing's gonna be like that rock hogan crowd that was just insane and the fact that i was there for it it, it's just so so special to me
1: what was um the aftermath like like after you Um, the event ended, you left the building and you're on your way home or to the pub or wherever it was, what was the streets like, the atmosphere afterwards?
0: It was just electric and I've been to nine WrestleManias that was my first WrestleMania that I had ever attended and it was funny I remember standing outside the building and my buddies and I had spent our $126 on these tickets, we'd spent $10 on the train to ride in from our hometown into Toronto which was like a 30 minute train ride and I remember us being like, man, $126, we're in, we're in university, that's a lot of money. Do we want to just sell our ticket? I bet you we could get like, I bet we could get like 200 bucks for this. And like, that would go a lot further. And then my, uh, I think I remember saying to my friend, I was like, you know what, let's just do it. We got to do this thing. Like, let, let's just, it's WrestleMania. Let's, let's make this thing happen. And I'm so glad that we did. And then afterwards, there was just this buzz, in in the city as a whole, but certainly around that building because we knew we had just witnessed something so special.
1: Mm. Was it like that sort of surreal feeling like, did I seriously just witness this amazing piece of history?
0: That was definitely what happened after the Rock Hogan match. Like, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and and that's why the crowd was so quiet for the matches after that. Like, the crowd had no energy in them. Kind of like after The Undertaker you know, after his loss at WrestleMania 30, like the crowd just has the energy sucked out of them.
1: Well, that was uh, quite an interesting thing that you brought up though. Just shock and disbelief. Like everyone in a sense, I think I thought he was going to retire undefeated or it was coming to an end, but I don't. And every year he went into that match, like for me personally, I don't know if it was the same for you, I thought it was coming to an end and I thought tri- um, Shawn Michaels was going to end it. I thought Triple H was going to end it. I thought CM Punk was going to end it. Going into yep. that match, that was the one time I thought, no, Lesnar won't end it. Yep. <laughs> I and thought the exact same. Well, like, I think they,
0: I think we got to, you know, 15 and 0, and then we got to 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, and I think it's like, oh, well, I mean, I think that he's not going to lose. If he was going to lose, it would have happened before. But it's so interesting. It's so interesting that it was Undertaker's decision to lose, and it was his decision that he wanted to lose to Brock Lesnar specifically. And yeah, I mean, you're right. Shock is a great way of Mm. describing that.
1: Especially the iconic photo of that guy with his jaw just dropped in that (laughs) white shirt.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that was all of us, that was mm. everybody, whether you were there or not.
1: Well, that's the first WrestleMania I've ever watched live. And I bought that on pay-per-view for about $49.99. Because at the time, even though it was the first WrestleMania on the network, the network hadn't been released in Australia. And I remember just casually sitting there, because when I'm by myself, I just watch anything, and I don't react to it. Like, in my head, I'm enjoying it. But I just sit there like a couch potato. But the right. moment that three count happened, I sat up in absolute shock, like, what on earth? <laughs> you and me both.
0: Yeah, that was ever. Yeah, yeah. And I don't hmm. think we'll ever see something like that ever again.
1: Um, yeah, it's like, like you said, I thought he wasn't going to beat the streak, but obviously for a different reason. It's, I didn't think the streak was going to. And to a part timer, I thought, okay, Undertaker is going to put someone over,
0: right? And Undertaker had been putting people over for so long, um, mm. but I, I think it. Look, everyone that retires for the most part goes out by putting someone over, yeah. Uh, and I think that I think that it uh, it was the right move at the right time. I think.
1: And. You've also said um, coming up um, on that YouTube interview, I keep going back to that because that's essentially where this um, conversation came to be was that YouTube interview. That's what started it all for this. Um, That You're going to interview Cultaholic.
0: So they're actually going to interview me. I'm going to be on their show. uh, We're taping it on Monday. I'm going to be on Desert Island Graps on Monday. So I'm really looking forward to that. Those guys are doing such amazing work and there are people in the youtube world that i look up to and they're putting out far more content than i ever could so to be able to share a conversation with them is something i'm really looking forward to
1: yeah and cultaholic obviously spawned from um, what culture and you have interviewed um simon miller as well
0: yep yeah and simon miller is man just a tremendous guy with an amazing work ethic and this <laughs> supreme amount of positivity and I was, it was so great the last time I was in London to be able to spend some time with him and do that interview with him. And he's doing it all, man. He's actually in the ring now. He had the dream, like so many of us, of getting in there and being a pro wrestler. And then he said, you know what? I think he was 33 when he started training. He said, you know what? I just want to do this. I don't want to keep talking about it and not actually living up to my full potential. And he's doing it now. So, man, I'm proud of him. I'm really proud of him.
1: Yeah, it's that's amazing. Cause I wasn't even sure if he was in the ring seeing as um Defiant came to a close. That was that was a sad day.
0: Yeah, but he's been wrestling all over. Like he was supposed to be wrestling actually he was supposed to have a match with Sammy Callahan WrestleMania weekend. Okay. Obviously the obviously the matches and different events going on in Tampa at WrestleMania weekend aren't happening anymore, but yeah that was the plan and that would have been a great match.
1: Yeah, no, it really would have. Um, speaking of Sammy Callahan, he's just come back as uh, the hacker for impact.
0: Yes, and I actually just did an interview with him talking about his new gimmick, and he's going to be on my show on Thursday. And said, so we taped this, obviously, before the quarantine and before the craziness. Um, I can't really do interviews in person right now, which is the way that I love to do interviews. So next yeah. week, every single day next week, I haven't announced this yet, but every single day next week, I'm going to be doing an interview with somebody live on my YouTube channel, and we're going to be asking the questions that people drop into the chat on YouTube. So I'm actually really pumped to see how this goes.
1: Yeah, I did say something about that actually. I think
0: well, I, said, I, I said I said I said we're we're going to do this, but I haven't announced the guest yet, and I've lined up six guests. So next week, mm. Monday through Saturday, I have a different superstar wrestler, diva, whatever you want to call. it.
1: Well, uh, I know what doing I'm doing when I get home from work each night. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, be like I'll get home like 11, p- 11 p.m. Like. You started your interview at the YouTube video. What time did it start? Eastern?
0: That that was 12 Eastern. So I don't know what time that is for you. It's probably like 3 in the morning, right? <laughs> uh,
1: give me two seconds. I've got the little app in front of me that I use to convert time. Sorry, if I set New York's time to uh, midday, was it?
0: Yeah, it was noon, yeah.
1: All right. so we'll convert this right back to midday. So it would have been 2 a.m. in the morning for me.
0: <laughs> Wow, and you were still awake. Well, I, I hate to do this to you, but all my interviews next week are starting at 1 o'clock New York time, so it's going to be 3 in the morning. <laughs> uh, but, I usually don't it, sleep till.
1: 4 a.m. Okay,
0: well then we'll see you in there. The reason I did this is a lot of the people I'm doing the interviews with live on the West Coast, so yeah. if I did if I did 12 noon, that'd be like 9 a.m. their time. So this is at least 10 a.m. their time. One one my time, five UK time, and then I'm sorry for you guys in Australia, New Zealand. So a little a little early in the morning for you guys
1: yeah well, if it's three am for us or for me Victoria's on daylight savings because Queensland doesn't have it so they'll okay. be four am and I think New Zealand is oh, six am yeah. <laughs> well, we're
0: you know it will it will continue to live on my YouTube channel forever so if you're not there live you just you won't be able to ask the questions but I'm sure' I'm sure there'll still be some great questions being asked but Look, yeah. we've, had, we've, had to, we've had to pivot. You know, I love to do my interviews live, and I think that there's a certain magic that you get by, by being able to look at that person in the eye and shake their hand, although I know we're not shaking hands <laughs> right now in the world. But you know, we've had to pivot, and I think that this is a way to go, hey, you know, wrestling doesn't stop. These interviews don't stop. And we've got a chance yeah. to have the fans who have been the best part about these interviews be involved yeah. in them. So I'm really excited about it.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure if you are ever back on the Gold Coast, I will, because my parents live in Brisbane, so I'm in Brisbane a couple of times a year, so I'm sure if you're ever back on the Gold Coast, I will come down to Brisbane, I'll catch a train down to the coast, and I will come shake your hand myself.
0: Sounds great. Well, I will let you know when I'm in Australia.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. Um, I am so grateful you're able to make the time. I really do appreciate it. Um,
0: Can you tell...
1: I'm I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media? It's just my name, Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. And if you are listening to this, chances
0: are you might be a YouTube subscriber already. So thank you for that. And BJ, thank you for the time. Thank you for waking up early and doing this with me. And also, I think this just goes to show, you shot your shot. You said, yeah. hey, I'd love to have you on the show sometime. And the absolute worst thing I could have said was, no, sorry, man. I don't have the time or I'm not able to do that. That's the absolute worst thing. Yeah. Instead, we got, we got the best thing. We were able to hang out for the last hour. So <laughs> thank you for shooting your shot. Thank yeah. you for setting that example for other people out there and letting them know that, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, if you never ask, the answer is always no.
0: That's right. Man, I love that. It's so true. If you don't ask, the answer is always no.
1: And Yeah, and as Chris said, if you've obviously heard of him, you're obviously subscribed to him on YouTube. And if you're not, what on earth are you doing? Like, seriously, <laughs> go, you are missing some great interviews. So if you're following him on Twitter, go subscribe to him on YouTube. Go check out his Instagram. It's quite an interesting Instagram as well. So go follow him on Instagram.
0: Well, thank you for the plugs. I appreciate that, and I'll let you, I'll let you know when I'm back in Australia, and I hope it's soon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, guys, this has been Mining for Mayhem. I'm your host BJ. This is Chris Van Vliet. Thanks, Chris, for joining us, guys. Everyone, we will see you all next Monday when we go back to our regular scheduled recordings. See you, everyone. Bye.